just get the sense that um, I feel like I've had like a few calmer, calmers or something this morning. Um, and it's just that sense of where my son smacks his head at the back. Um, break the peace. Uh, God's just saying, I just want you to rest in me. And do you ever get to that point where you're so uptight about stuff, you're worrying about stuff, you're here, there and everywhere, but just even in worship this morning, there was at no point in worship where it was like we were dancing everywhere. It was just like this serene rest of, Lord, we're here to worship you. And we're just ready to give some stuff over to you that we just can't handle anymore, that we can't cope with, or we can't do it. And uh, God continually every week is just talking about that place of rest at his feet, learning to sit there and learning to spend time with him to understand who he is and what he thinks of you. And so this morning we're going to continue on um, with our Oikonomia series. Great. Uh, and just for a recap, Neil, Neil at the start, I wrote down what Neil said a couple of weeks ago, and he said, is Jesus worth investing everything in? Which is pretty funny, because if we are actually getting to the bottom of it, he actually gave it to us first of all. So is he worth, worth investing back what he gave to us? That's the real question, if we understand the context of it. And Amy was talking about how we invest our capital as a family on mission, something that Neil talked about in the first week. So how do we invest as a family on mission together? When we get it personally, how do we then um, do it together? And the five things that Neil talked about were spiritual capital, relational capital, physical capital, intellectual capital, and financial capital. And what I wrote beside it was that there are also resources. There are also resources that God gives us, spiritual, relational, physical, intellectual, financial resources and they all influence each other and they all have influence and so the definition of uh, oikonomia is to steward and to manage we'll do that every week just so you get it it is to steward and to manage um and i love this but um we are uh, where a person looks after another's affairs basically we are entrusted someone is saying to you and me listen I trust you, I trust your character, I trust who you are, I trust the decisions that you're making. So I am going to give you something knowing that you're going to use it wisely. Another part of the definition of it says that it is for a special period of time. Sometimes in your life seasons change. So as I thought about this, I thought to myself, for me, my financial capital and my time, even which is sort of physical capital and intellectual capital, is spent a lot on my kids and so for this season, more of my investment is in my kids than, say, in 20 years' time. And so we go through different seasons for different capitals, different resources that God has placed in our hands, and how we are able to steward them and how we steward them wisely. Um, and to start us off, there's nine occurrences of this word in uh, the New Testament. And I'm not going to tell you what they are, because what I want you to do is invest in your intellectual capital, which will invest in your spiritual capital. And I want you to go away... And if you want to cheat, you can Google it because it'll bring it up straight away. I cheated. I Googled it. But if you really want to work hard at it, why don't you read through the whole of the New Testament and see if you can find these words and go to the Hebrew Bible. It's easier just to Google it. And so maybe invest in a wee bit of intellectual capital over the next week because I would love it that it's not just you're getting um, preaching or teaching or whatever it is from the front, but we're actually engaging in conversation at the back through coffee because you've read something this week that maybe we haven't picked up on and you're going to bring it to us and it's going to bring you alive and you're going to discover a gem in the word of God and that's really what it's all about. And so uh, and I encourage you to invest in the intellectual capital this week. And uh, for me, everything that we need to know about stewardship, about this word, which I'm not going to say too much, oikonomia. I was saying oinkonomia. 
so that's a wee bit wrong. But uh, everything we need to know from me, I, I believe, is summed up in, um, in one passage, and it's found in Ephesians 1, 10 to 11, and it says this, In the economy of the fullness of time, everything culminates, everything comes together in Christ. All that is in heaven and all that is in earth is reconciled to him. And that word economy is translated as administration, oikonomia. In the oikonomia, in the administration, in the fullness of time, everything comes together in Christ. It all starts there. It all ends there. Um, And so everything that exists in heaven and on earth finds its perfection and fulfillment in him. Everything on earth finds its perfection and fulfillment in Jesus Christ alone. Another writer, John Knox, goes on to say this about that passage. All that is in heaven and all that is in earth is summed up in him. This is how we fit into God's picture. Christ is the measure, and we're going to look at something about measure and influence later on today. Christ is the measure, the influence of our portion. We are in him invented and defined God's blueprint intention is on exhibition in us. And so as we are strutting about, we are his beautiful exhibition. I had this conversation with Nicola this morning. I walk in, I go, do you like my shirt, Nicola? And she goes, yes, you look lovely. I says, I know I look lovely. And so I might not be the best looking man in the world, but I'm pretty thankful for what God's given me. And don't take that wrong. I'm trying to use that as an illustration. God made me for a specific purpose. I am the blueprint of his design that he had. And as I strut about with whatever capital and whatever resources and whatever things God has entrusted me, I can either represent him well as the blueprint that was designed or I can go against the blueprint that was designed because all things come together and are summed up in him and through him, which then is given to me. What a responsibility. And so he's given us tools through the resources and capital that he has given us in the spiritual, the relational, physical, intellectual, and financial. Everything he accomplishes is inspired by the energy and intent of his, uh, of his affection for us. So everything he does is because he loves us. Everything he gives us is because he loves us. And when we steward it well, he looks down as a father and goes, my goodness, I want to give you more because I am so proud of how you're using what I've given you. And so to start off, this is the key. He engineered us from the start to fit the mold of sonship and likeness according to Jesus. That's the key to this word oikonomia. The key is sonship and the key is identity. If you don't understand who you are, then how can you steward what God has given you? If you don't really truly understand the inheritance that God has given you, how can you use it wisely? And so the key is identity. We are his plan. And so part of that identity is that we are to bring fulfillment and purpose to the people around us, knowing who we are. In another way, we can put it like this. It's all about lordship. So when you're thinking about spiritual, relational, physical, intellectual capital or resources, whatever you feel more comfortable with, You need to ask this one question before you start. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Because if he's not, that will shape what you do with what God has given you. No matter if you know him or not, God has given it to you. And so if he is not Lord of your household, that will shape. So this will define what you do with your resources because what you do with your resources is defined by who you are. It's defined by who you are. 
And so this morning, that's why it's so important that we learn to rest at the feet of Jesus. Do you know the Hebrew, the Hebrew don't have a word for presence. This is going off my notes, but they don't have a word for presence. So whenever you see the word face in like the Psalms, it means presence. And so this morning, God is saying, I want you to seek my face and know who I am, know my attributes, know my character, know how I feel about you. Because you know what? It, makes that, it means that I can strut around and go, I am the Father's favorite. I can be confident in who I am. I can be confident in what he's given me and blessed me with because I know how he feels about me. And I don't doubt it. And I don't have double standards because I know he loves me. And so we need to define, do we know of God? is Lord of our lives? The answer is yes, but do you truly know that and understand that and live that out? And so on my heart this week, as I've been, in the last couple of weeks, as I've been developing what I felt the Lord wanted me to speak about, um, it was this. It was relationship. We're relational capital. So number two in the list is relational capital. And I felt that as I was going over this, I, I asked God, I need just Something to help me understand this. And he gave me three words. Relational, ownership, and influence. And I believe as we start to invest in relationships with people around us, then we start to take ownership of those people, not in your mind, but as in, you know what, your problems are my problems. The things that you suffer with, I want to relate to. The things that you're going through, I want to be there for you. That's ownership. Which then leads to influence in people's lives. And so we're going to look at those quickly this morning. Um... And so, before I start, I want to do a disclaimer because it kind of lets me off. But the reason God's speaking this to me is because I need to do it better. It's because I need to grow in this. And as I thought about it last night, I was thinking about people of examples in my life that are really, really good at relationship. Because so there's certain people, if you know me, I don't text back very quickly. Sometimes I forget. I forget a lot. And uh, that annoys me. It actually really annoys me because I don't actually do it on purpose. Um, I'm not good at following up with people. I'm not good at remembering stuff, and that annoys me. But I look at the likes of Neville and Joe, and if you even look at their, uh, don't do your cringing face, if you even look at the dedication they had at the castle a few months ago, look at the amount of people showed up that truly love Neville and Joe. And it's because they are people who invest their time and their love and their energy. They send you a message when nobody else does. I'm not making you feel bad, I'm just, this was the example in my own life. And you know, I look at my dad, and my dad, I sent him a message a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, you really do have a pastor's heart. He truly cares about people. And whenever he says he'll do something, he does it. And he follows up for however long it takes. And they've been visiting the lady that's in hospital with cancer. And they go up and down every week. And I just think to myself, you are really investing in relationship with people. And I even said to my dad, that's one of my attributes that I don't have of you, but I want it. There's certain things I don't want of you. There's things that I do. And the same with Ronnie and Karen. There's things I want to view and there's things I don't. But they're great at it. And so this morning, I want us to look at the importance of a relationship and how we invest it and how we use it. Um, Graham Cook says this. He says that we practice and steward, we practice and oikonomia, the presence of God in our relationships, not our meetings. In our relationships, not our meetings. God comes to friendships mostly if we practice the one another's. We will have friendships that can attract the presence of God into our very midst. They are a guarantee of habitation. When we forfeit the one another's lifestyle of the kingdom, we downgrade 
God's dream of living with his people, habitation, to settle for an experience that merely involves visitation. And so I know you've probably heard this before, but do you remember I told a story about when I was dating Nicola? I I was um, sharing a house with a guy up in Coleraine, and when I knew Nicola was coming to visit me, I got all the dirty laundry and underwear and old food out of the fridge, and I cleaned the place up because it was like the queen was coming to visit. Only you're better looking than the queen. And uh, she was coming to visit me, and I got the house ready. But a few days after she left, it was just back to normal. And that's visitation. Visitation is just ins and outs. It's not really, there's no commitment. And when we get married, then things change, because then you can't hide the dirty, well, we don't hide the dirty laundry. (laughs) You can't hide things. It takes commitment. Things start to change, because you're living with each other. You get to know the ins and outs. You get to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so it's the same with you guys at the castle. When you visit the castle, you might walk in and think, oh, it's all, it's all great. But you don't see the days when, uh, when he's running around going, why is this not done? Why is this not cleaned? And people are freaking out and things aren't done and the, the food's not made for the guests that are coming. It's different when you are in habitation to visit. And so God's saying this morning, I want habitation with you guys. That's where relationship starts. Not just these wee visits on a Sunday morning. Are these we one-offs where you invite me to come into your life? And he wants the habitation, but it's up to you and me. We have free will and we have choice. And so also an illustration of that is Tin House. And one of the things that we say in Tin House, and Anastasia and Grace do this so well, and the girls as well, is that we display and declare the gospel. We love people coming in and experiencing the presence of God. But ultimately, it's not just an experience that we want. We want them to understand that the concept of Tin House, that God himself inhabits that space because we ask intentionally that he does it. And that our staff are intentional with their lives of letting the Father inhabit their lives. And so through that, people encounter it. But we don't just want that encounter. We want people to understand what it truly is. And I find one of the greatest illustrations in the Bible is Paul. And Paul had this law that he, I, I feel his life um, was great at showing and it was this that he added value to people before he gave direction and so I found as a people of God and as church and over the years growing up as a pastor's son that some Christians have this entitlement because they know Jesus and they know their Bible that I will come in and tell you what to do but the fact is you need permission to do that and Paul got it he knew that I need to add value to your life and I need to have permission to ask you to move or to do or to take steps and directions that I feel the Father laying on my heart. And so he invested in a relationship. And then very clearly through his letters, we see that he took ownership of the people who he dearly loved and prayed for and sent letters and was willing to die for, which led to influence in those people's lives. And so the key thing was that he brought his identity, which was founded in Jesus, to the lives of so many others around him. 1 Corinthians um, 9, verses 19 to 21, Paul talks about becoming like a Jew so he could reach the Jews, becoming like a person without the law so he could reach those without the law. In fact, he said, he became all things to all men that he might save them. And it's one of those verses where people have tried to take out of context and just do whatever they want. But Paul knew that he was advocating that law that he was talking about, that law of addition to add to the family of Jesus. It's not going in and pointing the finger and shouting. The thing is that he went in and he birthed relationships that were actually genuine and true, which led to ownership, which led to influence over people's lives. 
1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23 says, When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing. We're going back to front here. And 1 Corinthians 9, verse 17 to 21 says this, If I were doing this on my own initiative, I'm in the New Living Translation, by the way, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. God has given me this assignment. This is what I am to do. I have taken ownership, and because of that, I am given influence. What then is my pay? It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my right when I preach the good news. And so really what we're finding here is that he is doing this not for financial gain, but for spiritual gain. He is investing in people in the cities that he goes to for, for, um, not for financial gain, but for spiritual gain. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all to bring many to Christ. Verse 21 says that when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And so really what he is saying here in that long passage at the end, I obey the law of Christ, is that I am so in touch with the Father. I know who the Father is and that I am bedded and grounded on who he is and who he says I am that I can be all things to all men. To the weak, I can appear weak. To the strong, I can appear strong. To the smart, I can be smart. To the people without, I can be without. And so I am confident in who I am that I can be of the, in the world, but it doesn't infect or affect me. And the problem is that people have taken that out of context and think they can go out and do everything that the world does and not be infected or affected. And the truth of it is that we are to be in a place with the Father of complete intimacy and rest and knowing who we are and our true identity, be grounded in the Word of God, that when we go out there, we will not be infiltrated by the world, but we can still be a part of it that we might win people for Christ. Is that, do you understand that? And so in relationship, people begin to trust you. That trust leads to an entitled voice in their lives and it leads to a presence. It leads to a presence in people's lives to bring wisdom, to bring spiritual insight from the Holy Spirit. And so people out there are longing for Jesus, but they don't know it. They're longing for the truth, but they don't know it. So many people have questions. And you know what we have? We have the answers, not from our own brains, but from the word of God and from the Holy Spirit guiding us. We can be an influence on people's lives that break down barriers, that break chains, that break people out of cages. And all we have to do is understand who we are and spend time talking to the Father and communing with him through his word and through prayer. And so to illustrate this, the voice of truth I want to bring people into that place of understanding John 10.10. I'm so grateful for Ronnie introducing me to that verse every week in 2006 when I came here. Still his favorite verse. Life in abundance. Too many people are going around just living an ordinary boring life, even Christians, and not understanding the abundance and fullness of Jesus. And so um, a couple of years ago, I think it was, I went to um, Pastor Daniel in Cedar Rapids, who was my boss, for those who don't know. Um, and one of my good friends. He wouldn't be really technically minded. I'm not the best, but I know bits and pieces. And I went into his house, and he got a new flat screen TV, and he said, David, look, isn't it great, the size of it? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's good. He says, but what's wrong with your picture? He says, oh, that's the proper picture. 
I says, that's not HD. He says, well, I got a guy to come in and set it up, and it's definitely HD. I says, no, it's not. He says, yes, it is, because he's a boss, so he likes to be right, just like the rest of us. And so uh, I says, no, it's not. Let me show you. So I put my hand in the back, and I moved one wee lead into the box and one wee lead into the TV. And next thing, the picture on the screen was completely different. And Pastor Daniel stood in shock, and he's like, I can't believe that. I thought that person that was here knew what they were talking about. And I've been watching this all along, when I, or watching that all along, when I could have been watching in that high definition. And I believe that's an illustration of what we can do in people's lives if we are grounded in the Word, if we are in communion with the Father. I don't mean Mavericks going about just here, there, and everywhere that aren't, com- that aren't committed to a local church, that aren't in relationship with Jesus. But you and me, we can bring high definition to people's lives. Through our relationship, number one, just that physical relationship of being there, of talking, of being an arm around them, but also then being that relationship fed by the Holy Spirit of, actually, I feel God may be leading this in my heart to, to pray for you, to speak over you. And so, Nicky Gumbel says this about high definition. Rather than black and white or even color, Jesus offers us high definition. There are two Greek words for life. The word bios, from which we get the word biological, which means the condition of being alive rather than dead, mere existence. The other word, zoe, means the full, abundant, spacious, open-hearted, richness of life that Jesus speaks about, a fulfillment and purpose that is life in high definition. Which one do you choose? Do you want bios, mere life, mere existence? I'm getting by, I'm a nine to five, I'm going home, Watch Coronation Street, I get up in the morning at 9 to 5. Or do you want Zoe, the full, abundant, spacious, open-hearted richness of Jesus in your life? That's what you and me, through relationship, have to offer and have to invest in other people around us with our oink, 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 not looking at you, nano. And so, even further, see when we start asking God for stuff like this, he goes one more. And so a couple of years ago, I started praying, God, I want to see in HD. And I mean, I want to see visions. I want to hear your voice. I want to know what you're thinking in high definition. I want it. And I started praying for it every week. It's like, God, I want high definition. And nothing came. Time went, nothing came. And Neil and I went to um, a small like, conference meeting thing down in Belfast one day. And David McClay, who's um, head of New Wine and uh, a reverend or higher than that now in the Church of Ireland, he just came up to me, he didn't know me, and he, he looked at me and he said, is there an optometrist in your family? And I was like, no, there's not. And then he sat down and he just had, had a normal conversation. And then again, in the middle of it, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, but do you have an optometrist in your family or anybody to do with eyes? And I was like, no, if, there's nothing to do with eyes. And I just said to him, if there's something you want to say, just get it out. If it's wrong, it's wrong, if it's right, it's right. And he says, okay, here goes. I seen a picture of glasses and I felt like God was saying, you want high definition, but I want to give you 3D. I was like, I only asked for high definition. He wants to give me 3D. And I sat reading that this morning and I started crying because you know what I realized? God told me he wanted to give me 3D definition. He had invested that in me, the steward. And I've done nothing about it. I haven't done anything about it. And it hit me this morning as I read this. I have done nothing, maybe bits and pieces, but I have not seriously said, God, you told me you want to give me 3D vision. I want to know what that means. I want to know what that means for the people around me. I want to know what that means for my relationships. And I have failed 
to invest it, and I have failed um, to use it wisely. And that was just a telling off, not a telling off, it was more a gentle nudge of love this morning. But Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And that is the key to what God has given us in Oikonomia. As we give it freely, God's going to look down and go, my goodness, I can trust you to steward it. I'm going to give you so much more. And so if you're looking at other people thinking that's unfair that they have so much, assess for a moment what you do with what you have. Because those people that have lots spiritually, physically, intellectually, financially, relationally, it's probably because they know how to invest it and know how to be consistent. And so Paul understood this and he knew that relationships flowing from the identity of knowing who they were in the Father, that it would make the early church unstoppable. And that's why in Acts 17 we read that they said about the guys coming to the city, not those guys, they're turning the world upside down. And the reason for the world being turned upside down was all based in relationship of the New Testament church. So even just think of the, the church in Ephesus and the stories that's told there of the, the books that were burnt in the middle of the city, apparently worth millions, equivalent of millions of pounds worth today. So these witches and pagans, they would have thrown all these books into the middle of the town. And can you imagine millions of pounds worth of books? What a bonfire. That would blow the 11th night out of the water. Can you imagine what it took to turn that city around? And it was all based on relationship of the New Testament church. And so to finish off relationship, I want us to, uh, I want to just give you uh, eight headings. And I want you to write these down, intellectual capital. Eight things that I've seen in Paul's character that I believe that we can look at and that we can put into practice. And there's a game in it too, because Ronnie's influenced me. And it's going to spell something, okay? Are you ready? Because I'm going to ask you at the end of it. And so the first one, the first part of his character and the character that then he discipled and gave to the people in his churches was this. They were purposeful. So they approached others with a purpose and the purpose was to add value to their lives. So he always tried to find common ground. And here's one other thing. They weren't easily offended. I think there's a wee thing going about some churches now that we have this real, oh, we're offended. We're allowed to be offended. We can, you know, there's entitlement. We're allowed to be offended. I'm going to be offended by that. But the early church, they were not easily offended. And I think for you and me, do you know what? Some of the guys that we play football with sometimes like to drop the F-bomb and they like to talk about stuff. But you know what? For the sake of winning them for Jesus, yes, I did say that in church. For the sake of winning them for Jesus, we need to stop being so easily offended. And so they weren't easily offended. They were purposeful. Number two, they were relational. Um, They were warm and inviting with relationships. They ate meals together. They prayed together. They invited people into their homes. And here's one of the keys. They avoided projecting themselves onto others as know-it-alls. How often do we do that? Where we think we have the answer or we think we know it all. Instead of just sitting and listening to people and finding out where they are and building relationships, they knew that we don't project ourselves as know it all. Number three, they were objective. So they assessed the strengths and weaknesses of people and they were able to use them wisely in churches. They were able to use them wisely in their gifts and abilities, but also they accepted people regardless of any issues that they had. Don't care what you've done, don't care who you are. Jesus loves you. Number four, They were vulnerable. They modeled self-disclosure and honesty. 
They were honest with each other, probably too honest with each other, which is good. And I think we need to get back to that honesty and truthfulness, being upfront with people. Um, and so they, they were sensitive to culture, but they were not consumed or controlled by it. Number five, they were incarnational. This means that they practiced what they preached. They lived out what the word of God said they were. They were representations of Jesus. And so they modeled, they modeled what they taught. Number six, they were dependable. They were consistent and responsible for what they promised. And this is a big, big one. This is sometimes really hard to do. They were dependable people. Number seven, they were empowering. They gave power away and facilitated growth in others. So no, no longer Paul set up a church. Well, actually, he was there for maybe two years. But what he wanted to do was even establish local great leaders that he could depend on. And once that happened, he was away to the next place to establish local church to build relationship. But also, he kept in communication with them. He wrote letters. He was back and forth. But he was ready to empower other people and the next generation. And number eight in the last one, he was resourceful. They used every tool to grow people. Even with Paul's job, he built tents during the day and he taught at lunchtime and he taught in the evening and he taught in the morning, but he'd done whatever it took to reach people with the gospel. And ultimately that was his goal, to reach people with the gospel. And what does that spell? Provider. And realistically, that's what all our relationships are based on. As he provides for us, we are able to provide for others. And so one of the other things I tell the girls in Tin House is that See your problems that you have, you're allowed to have them because I'm not that hard. You're allowed to have them, but I would rather you project them onto me or someone else in the ministry and get them out and we'll talk about them because see today, someone will come in that has the same problem or worse, but they don't have Jesus. And so there may be people on here that you've went through things, but some of the purpose of that, because he uses all things, doesn't cause all things, but he uses all things for the good of those who love him are called according to his purposes. So he can shape them and mold them and turn them around and use them. And so maybe some things that you've went through in your life, he's going to use those because there's other people out there that don't have the hope of Jesus and through relationship, you're going to bring freedom to those people. And so we're doing a study together, um, Neil and Neville himself. And on the last pages of it, it's called Unfolding the Great Commission. The writer says this, the early church, it grew because Christians constituted an intense community and the primary means of its growth was through the united, motivated efforts of the growing numbers of Christian believers who invited and motivated their friends, relatives and neighbors to share the good news. That blew me away because I thought it was signs and wonders and miracles. But what it's saying is those things are great. But really the foundation after Jesus was relationship with each other. It's not unbelievable. It was the relationship that held them together. It was the bonding glue of all the other things. And so for Jesus, evangelism equals relationship. The great commission of go in Matthew 28 is relationship. As you go, you're going to build relationship, which, which will ultimately lead to me. So your investment of your relational capital will also ultimately lead to me. And so as we finish with relationship, it then ultimately leads to ownership. So as you start building relationship with your neighbor, with your friends, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, ultimately, whenever you start to share in their lives and understand things that they're going through or financial needs or spiritual needs or whatever it is, if you know Jesus and you're grounded in who you are, it'll start to break your heart, the things that they're going through. And ultimately then that means, you know what? 
God, I want to take ownership of this because I want to see this relationship through to where they're living in John 10, 10, fullness, or to where they come to know you, or to where they understand how to use their financial capital so that they're not drowning in debt and all these practical things and spiritual things. God is saying, when you take ownership, that's when it changes. When you actually feel that, do you know what, this is mine, you actually are motivated to do more and to be more a part of it. And so John 10, 11 to 15 says that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his sheep, or sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. And so this morning I have asked myself, in my relationship, am I the good shepherd or am I the hard hand? Do I really truly care about the relationships in my life or am I going to run away when something comes? Because to me it's all about what I can get out of it. Galatians 4, I'm not going to read it right now, but Galatians 4, 1 to 7 talks about um, how Jesus was sacrificed on the cross for you and me. Ultimately, this is the ultimate ownership so that he could free you and me from the law. That he could give us righteousness and impart it into us. That is ultimate ownership. And do you know what ownership really is? Ownership is ultimately taking responsibility. It's taking responsibility for those that God has entrusted you in your life to be an influence on, which is what we're going to finish with. And it's an understanding that your relationship with them based on who you are in the Father is going to lead them to responding in some way to Jesus. But it's also going to lead you to responding in some way. And so for me, I love nothing better than asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want for this person? I love people leaving feeling free because of a word that the Holy Spirit has given you. I love people leaving you feeling a bit more excited and exhilarated because all you've done is just encourage them or bless them. I love those moments where you've got a certain amount of money in your pocket and you feel God telling you to give it to the person and you're like, I don't want to give it to them. It happened to me in a shop. I'm not, I don't want to lose my blessings, so I'll not say where it was, but it happened to me in a shop, one of the drop-in shops a while ago, and I felt the Lord, I had something in my pocket for something, and he said, you give it to that person. And I was standing having a conversation with myself in the middle of the store. No, I'm not doing it. I'm, no, I'm not doing it. I, like, I need this for that. I need it. And I eventually, and I, I must admit, it was pretty unwillingly, I gave it. But the person broke down in tears and said that they had been praying because they had a bill to pay. And it was enough to cover the bill. And I love moments like that, where even when you don't want to, the Father is helping you to steward your stuff well to steward your capital well so that you can invest it in others. And I know that day that girl went away, yes, excited about the money, but more excited that the father had heard her cry and that someone was able, even unwillingly, to give an investment to her. And so the purpose, the purpose of taking ownership, the purpose of all this relational capital investment, I sound like a banker, is that we are to bring a glimpse of heaven to earth. It's in those moments where heaven touches earth and people get to meet Jesus. It's in those moments where you meet someone from uh, a really hard background that has been, for years, they've been told you're nothing, you're useless, you'll never amount to anything. It's in those moments where you say, do you know what, actually, that's lies over you. 
you are amazing. You're made in the image of God. You're a daughter of Christ. It's when you can turn around how people think about themselves in a few short words led by the Holy Spirit that ignites something within them. That's what relational capital is really truly about. Nearly done. And so for an example, taking ownership even of capital with regards to gifts and talents that God has given you. Is there something that you're really good at and you know you're good at it? Because in our culture, we, you know, we don't really boast um, about things. But is there something that you're really good at? Um, Thingy Scott, what's his name? From Colerian Vineyard. Alan Scott, a few weeks ago, was talking about purpose and talking about um, sometimes God makes us really good at something, even though we don't like it. But it's in those things when we're obedient, because he's actually looking at obedience. It's when we're obedient in those things that we don't like, even though we're really good at them, where we discover what we were made for. So like King David, he was out in the, the field as a shepherd, and he was bored probably out of his head and sitting in the field for day after day, month after month. But it was there that he discovered that he was able to kill bears and lions. And it was that discovery that he was like, ah, I'm good at this. And then when it came to Goliath, he was like, what are you guys worried about? I'll take care of it. And it was that that was the start of where God was going to bring him. And so sometimes with the resources that you have, you might like it or you might not, but God's made you good at something. And what you do with that, what you do with that is going to either open or close doors for you. And so um, one of the other things in this is, like, say, for instance, you're God send you, I want you to be, I want you to be a translator. Who wants to be a translator? So if you want to be a translator, what are you doing to be a translator? I'll not look directly at you because it makes you feel bad. But if God puts something in your heart, what are you doing about investing in it? Are you reading the books? Are you watching the videos? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you and doors that he wants to open? What are you doing with what he's given you? And sometimes, you know when God gives you a word, if someone here had a word, a prophetic word spoken over them about what could be, about something maybe that's in them that they know, but they're not quite there yet. And what I believe is that God has given you a glimpse of what can be. God is saying, listen, this is what I see in you. This is what I want for you. This is what I have for you. And it's not like dangling something on the end of a hook. He's actually saying, I want you to get serious about it. And I want you to start investing in what I've already invested in you. And so it's understanding ownership that leads to influence and purpose. And so Paul took ownership of his commission, which shaped his purpose. Colossians 1 verse 25, it says that I am an administrator in God's economy. And my mission is to make his word known with utmost clarity. And as we read that statement, we can see from the New Testament that that shaped who Paul was, how he behaved, and the fact that he just, I want to get to Rome, and I'm going to go everywhere in between, and I want to tell people about Jesus, and I want to bring it to the Gentiles. I am an administrator in God's economy, and my mission is to make the word of God known. And one writer says this, it is our choices that show what we truly are far more than our abilities or gifts. And so God might have given you a lot of gifts, but the choices that you make with how you use that say more about you than the gift. The character is more important than the gift. And so if God has given you lots this morning, you should be very thankful. And you should be asking God, how can I use these and steward these for your kingdom? And so eventually, as we take ownership, leading from relationship, at least to the last one, which is influence. And so all of us have a particular influence in life. All of us, think about it now. Think about your influence at home. Sometimes when Nicola can't get the kids to bed, I walk in and go, bed! 
and the boys run. I have an influence, probably because of my deep voice and a wee bit more authority. And Nicola's softer than me, so they know that. But there's other things where when Nicola comes in and she says it, especially with me, and I guess she has an influence. And so leaning from your personal life, your home life, your work life, your church life, whatever it is, your sports teams, you have an influence whether you like it or not. And some of those influences are maybe negative, but hopefully most of them are because you've invested well with your relational capital and you have permission to be influential in a positive, good way in their lives. Um, Ephesians 1 verse 7 says this in, in verse 9, 7 to, 7 to 9. You can read that later yourself if you want. That he is making known to us. He has lavished upon us all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. He is giving us insight for things because of the influence that he has given us. And all we have to do is ask. And so your sphere of influence, the Greek word is metron, which means measure of. He has given us a measure of influence, which will affect how we invest our capital. And so the more influence we have, probably the more we have to invest. And so each of us have different influences in our lives with different, with different gifts. And so many of you probably don't know this about me, but I studied geography at Queen's University. And for my thesis... I decided I'm going to, uh, I wanted to pick somewhere so I could go to Tenerife. So I thought to myself, my mom and dad were living in Tenerife, and I thought, how can I get two months in Tenerife? So I actually shaped what I wanted to do for my thesis around wanting to go to Tenerife for two months, not what I was maybe good at. And so what I decided to do was sphere of influence. And a sphere of influence in geographical terms is, say, for instance, taking a dentist. And so there's not very many dentists, and so more people will travel to get to a dentist, so they have a greater area of influence. Whereas it comes to the local spar, the local spar's area of influence is very small because there's so many of them about. And so the more um, specialized a certain um, commodity is or a service, the more of an influence it will have. And the less it is, then the less of an influence it will have. And so some of us are created to be influential in local or in macro, in micro or in macro. But I believe that in the kingdom of God, we're all called to be micro and macro and so God has placed something in you that you're good at God has placed an ability within you that if you steward correctly your influence will be great and will change the lives of many people around you and so for instance in the in the financial world maybe God is asking you I want you to learn how to invest wisely because you're going to be influential for me for the kingdom I was thinking about you this morning Neil in practical terms Neil sits on the board for the school. What if you were the best ever board committee member in the school? Because you just decided, you know what? No, I know you don't want to be. For the sake of building a relationship and for the kingdom, I want to know inside out all the stuff that is important to these people for the board. And it's taken it right down to those practical things where actually, places I have influence, am I carrying, or am I using that wisely? Am I investing that influence wisely? Sorry if you're lost in that a wee bit. But God appoints us a measure. James Gold says this. He promises us that if we are faithful with a little, he will give us much. The key is being faithful with what he has given us, large, small, or in between. Our measure of rule and how we exercise it is very important to God. It is a crucial part of his overall redemptive purposes for humanity. Within our measure of rule, we each have a measure of gift, which refers to the specific level or degree of grace gifting that we have received from the Holy Spirit. And this measure will always be sufficient for the sphere of influence that God has given us. 
So what's, what has God given you? 2 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regards to the area of influence God has assigned to us. God has given you permission to boast about what he is doing with you because it's not you, it's him. He's given you the, the right to say, do you know what? I don't know what's happening. What are you doing? What's happening with God? And I was thinking about this this morning and I wanted to take this in the right way. So I, I've been asked to speak at something next month and five years ago, I couldn't have done it. I still don't think I can do it, but God's increasing um, the want to do it. But I believe that God started the seed for that years ago and opening doors and giving opportunities to be faithful and giving opportunities to incre- increase your influence so that when the day comes where he opens a large door for you, you're ready and able to do it. And so you might be starting off right now where you think you have no influence, where you think that you're not influential in anybody's life. But I want you to think about it for a moment. Just think about the people. Think about even Paul and Sharon, those ones and twos of the people that you go and visit that come into your shop. Think if their lives were turned around and then they went and invested that in someone else and their lives were turned around on the knock-on effect. It all starts with very small investments of influence. And so as we're faithful with what God has given us, Proverbs verse 18, verse 16 says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. If we're faithful with what he's given us, he's going to open doors beyond all measures of what we could ever dream or imagine. And I'm not saying that as a, a dream, I'm saying that as a reality. That's what God does. Even with our Neil on the 24-7 prayer website, talking about prayer and meeting these great people. And do you know why that's happening? Because he's investing his capital in the right ways. He's invest, investing relationally. And God's opening doors for him. And lastly, influence is only effective in kingdom, kingdom partnership. And so 2 Corinthians 10, verse 15 to 16 says this. We are not competing with others for your membership. Our vision is for you. Our vision for you is to see your faith mature into a full harvest. This is our standard rule. We have no other expectation. The same degree that your faith matures, our field among you is greatly increased. You become the extension of our sphere of influence as we together reach neighboring regions beyond, your, beyond yourselves. The gospel is the key role player here, not hidden agendas of man-made ministries. And so just like Lego blocks, the more they connect, the stronger they get. And so the purpose of influence is not to be lone wolves or not to be out there by yourself, but it's to connect with each other in churches and for churches to connect with each other so that we can build and we can influence our communities in a way that is going to bring kingdom life back into them. It's in a way that we can be a part of the community but not consumed by it. And so this morning, I want us to finish on that. That we are to understand the purpose of relational capital, which leads to us taking ownership, which leads to influence. And as the, the team are going to come up and sing, I want to read um, Psalm 16 out to you. Psalm 16 says this, Lord, I have chosen you alone as my inheritance. You are my prize, my pleasure, and my portion. I leave my destiny and its timing in your hands. Your pleasant path leads me to pleasant places. I am overwhelmed by the privileges that come with following you. For you have given me the best. The way you counsel and correct me makes me praise you more. For your whispers in the night give me wisdom. 
showing me what to do next. Because you are close to me and always available, my confidence will never be shaken. For I experience your wraparound presence every moment. My heart and my soul explode with joy, full of glory. Even my body will rest confident and secure. For you will not abandon me to the realm of death. Nor will you allow your Holy One to experience corruption. For you will bring me continual revelation of resurrection life. The path that brings me to overflowing joys of exquisite and external pleasures of gazing upon your face. And that's, as we finish, that's where we... That's where I want you to focus on. If you miss everything today, if there's too much there, you go back to the fact that the start you need to gaze on his face. It all starts in relationship with him. It all starts with him telling you who you are and you believing it and reacting and responding to it and living it out. So Father, I just thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would just um, do what it needs to do in people's hearts and minds, that they would take away what they need to, Lord. And I pray as we go out this week, Father, that we would um, be good stewards of relationships we have, but Lord, that we would be looking to connect with new relationships with people that we can um, take ownership of, as we've talked about, Lord, that will lead to influence in their lives. And so God, I pray that you would just create a people um, that are intentionally influential in people's lives, and it's all birthed in love from you. So we just thank you for the people in this church. We thank you for their gifts and abilities and their hearts and their lives. Bless them this week. In Jesus' name, amen.